Glad you're here. We are um, in the second to last. We have one more week of In the Deep, um, and then we are changing series. Um, but uh, excited about what God has for you today. I um, want to get you a chance for a deep breath this morning before we, uh, we jump into this message. Lots of things going on in our lives um, uh, this time of year. If you've got kids, um, it, things get real exciting in your house. And when the kids start talking about getting out of school, you know, you have this mixture of excitement from the kids and panic from the parents um, all at the same time. And I start feeling a little depressed. I'm 40 years old, and I still feel like I should get a summer vacation every year, you know. I don't know if you feel that way. I, I don't, don't you wish you had three months off like you did when you were a kid, you know. And my kids get off, and I get pouty because I wish I had the three months off. But um, whatever you got going on today, this is a good opportunity for you to, uh, to get some perspective on this thing. And he- here's the truth about it. Um, if you've been around New Life very long, you've heard me say this a lot, but if you haven't, this might be a good thing for you to hear, that if you just this morning sit in these pews in the same frame of mind that you spend the rest of your week, um, you got to get something good from John Mitchell, and you don't want to do that, believe me. Um, what you want to get is something from your creator today. Even if, you, even if you're here and you're, not, you're just kicking the tires, you're not even sure what you believe, you still, you're not here to hear from me, but... If you just come in that same frame of mind, you might as, be, might as well be listening to Dr. Phil or reading a book at the, the bookstore or something like that because there are a lot smarter people out there. And, and what we believe here at New Life is that if you get your life quiet, now God could speak right over the top of your life if he wanted to, wet your pants and scare you to death. That's not what he chooses to do. What God does is he speaks into our hearts and our lives when we quiet the stuff in our lives. So we start, every, every week we start this way, because honestly, what I have to say that comes out of my own head is not worth anything to you. It's what comes out of my life and what comes through God um, in your life that matters. So this is how we do that. We take about a minute, which is not enough, but it's all we got, um, to be as quiet as we can. And if you are a Christian, if you are a God person, um, it's a good opportunity for you just to say, God, would you put me in a different frame of mind? Would you would you remind me that you're in charge and I'm not? <laughs> Would you remind me that no matter how much is in my bank account, no matter how many bills are piled up, that all of it belongs to you? And if you can do that and just put yourself in a deep, deep breath mindset this morning, you'll hear differently. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're just kind of kicking the tires. If you're listening online and your grandmama, you promised her you'd watch, listen to this CD or this, this MP3 and uh, you're finally doing it, th- and you're not sure you believe this stuff, this is still a great opportunity for you to just stop. If you're going to listen anyway... Great opportunity for you to just stop, take a deep breath, and think, what in my life needs to change? And uh, we believe that if you keep digging, you'll find what God wants, um, and that's what we're doing around here. So about a minute, and then uh, I'll close us out in prayer, and we'll jump right in this morning. Let's just be quiet for a little bit. God, the quiet feels good in the midst of a life that is just noisy, whether it's literal noise or whether it's confusion, frustration, exhaustion. We pause to stop all of it for a moment and have you rearrange it 
all of it. God, in this moment, would you put the things in order that belong in the right order today? No matter where we have shuffled them around, would you help us get perspective on what needs to come first? And God, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of confusion, in the midst of exhaustion in this, in this room, would you give us a new energy for doing things your way? God, don't make this about church. Don't uh, allow us today not to make this just about religion, about something we do on Sundays, but something that changes who we are from the, from the inside out, something that's evident. God, will we walk away today not with just a cold chill or a good idea, but with, with handles, something to do, something that we can change in our life so that, because we know that's what honors you and that's what changes us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So I used to work for the Navy um, back in uh, 1998 to 2001. Believe it or not, I had a top secret clearance. Um, worked for Crane, traveled the world a little bit, um, flew on aircraft carriers, and was a communications liaison for the Navy. And while I did, I spent a lot of time out in San Francisco, in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was actually on these Boston Whalers, which um, sounds like a big boat, um, about a 21, 20, 21 to 24-foot boat. And on Lake Monroe, that's a big boat. But on the, the bay in San Francisco, that's a small boat. And I spent um, about a week on and off with a GPS unit tracking the movements of this boat to use in modeling when I came back to, to, uh, to Crane. And it was, a, um, it was grueling. It was cold out there. doesn't matter what time of year you're on uh, the San Francisco Bay. It's cold. The wind is cold and the wa- waves are splashing. And, and I spent most of my, my week out there um, about a mile from one of the most ominous crazy, scary, weird, movie-like places in, in, that I've ever seen in my life. And I spent the entire week looking at it. And every time I'd, I'd be doing something, I'd work, and then when I wasn't working or I had a break, I would look out there and I would just stare at the island. And if you, if you know anything about movies, you know what I'm talking about. Alcatraz. You ever seen Alcatraz? If you don't know Alcatraz, you need to go home and Google this right now. You need to watch every movie. There's a movie called The Rock with Sean Connery in it that is awesome. And this is, this is real life. This is a weird, scary place. Um, it is a prison that was sort of the worst of the worst at the time. You can take a tour of it now, and after spending a week there, at the end of the week, I had looked at it for so long, I decided to take a tour. Um, and it was life-impacting to see this place. And part of the reason is because there is this ominous, weird feeling in the building. You know that the worst of the worst in America were in this building for a while. You know that the people that were in this building, and they, they, they talked about it. If you watch enough commentaries, there's documentaries and commentaries on this like crazy. You can just get on Netflix and type in Alcatraz, and you can binge watch for a week. Um, but what they talk about is not just the prisoners that were a little messed up. If you worked on Alcatraz... <laughs> You either had been volunteered by somebody because of something you had done. It's not the place you want to be. Or you volunteered. And if you volunteered to work on Alcatraz, there was something not quite right about you to begin with. Because it's just a scary, weird place. And if you spend enough time um, learning about it, I kind of got obsessed with it for a while. You you realize that there is this darkness in mankind. That there is this this deep darkness. And if if you're an adult, you're over the age of 30, you probably have in your, mo- in your life had a moment where you have felt that creep up in your life. It's not, where you, not what you expected the preacher to talk about today, is it? But that's a, it, let's just be real honest. You have had a moment in your life where you have felt darkness creep in. Something, a thought that you, we won't even talk about, a thought that you've had, 
that you, were, you wouldn't have ever imagined you could even think about. The truth is that the people that were in Alcatraz, as I learned about them, as, as I studied them, I began to realize that they're not that far from me. They're not. Your preacher could be on Alcatraz. Had it been for a different family, had it been for a different economic upbringing, had it been for just the wrong situation in my life, had it been for the wrong uncle, the wrong friend that I'd ran into, I could have been in that place. And if you're honest, you could be too. And the truth is, the heart of that is not evil. Can I, I'm just going to tell you that for a second. In fact, if you're, if you're one of those Christians that uses that word a lot, let me be very, very clear about how the Bible talks about the word evil. Not very many people should use the word evil. When you talk about people that you disagree with or people who don't see the world the way you see them, don't use the word evil because the word evil denotes some sort of demonic possession or it denotes some sort of Satanistic permission given by this person. These people on Alcatraz, most of them, don't need the word evil associated with them. When you call someone evil, what you're saying is, I am so different than you that I couldn't ever find myself in your situation because you have partnered with the devil. Be very careful because you are teetering on judgment at that point, which Jesus was very careful to warn us about. In fact, the people on Alcatraz weren't evil. Most of them, most of the people that you see that are mass murderers, most of the people that you see who have these terrible things. Now, I'm not saying they weren't all evil, but I can tell you that as I've studied them, as I've, as I've looked at them, they have a common denominator with you and I. They just took a little different direction when they hit it, and here it, here it is. There is an emptiness in each of us. There is an emptiness that we are born with. It is this emptiness that craves God. This, this emptiness craves God so desperately that if it can't find God, it will replace God with something else. And if you fill your, this empty void in your life with the wrong thing, it will cause you to do things that you would have never anticipated you doing. I have a friend in Bloomington. She doesn't go to this church, but she could. Um, she's just like all of us. I'm going to call her Tina because some of you might know her and that's not her name. Um, I was real creative with that. We'll call her Tina today, but you know her story. Here's, here's Tina's story. She grew up in a hard home. She grew up um, hard off financially, and she began to, to feel like um, her life was empty um, by about the time she was 14. So she filled that empty void with things that would not really uh, replace God, but that would make her not think about God or think about anything else. She started in meth when she was 14. Um, by the time she was 17, she was a full addict. Um, by the time she was 19, meth didn't do it enough anymore, so she, was a, she began black tar heroin. Um, she got a good job, and the heroin turned into e- even more expensive kinds of drugs. She began to become so addicted that um, she would go into the hospital, and um, they finally would rehab her at the hospital. She would come down and almost die when she was 22 years old just from uh, the drugs that she had in her body and coming down too quickly. She, f- she survived that, and when she came out, she had this new understanding of her life. And I've seen this happen a lot um, in, in my career as a minister. It, the thing about ministry is I get, uh, you've seen a lot in your life, but I get to see all the things that you see in your life, and I get all the emails and the notes and the prayer requests and all of that in my life at the same time. So as a 40-year-old, I've just seen so much, especially, especially around Paragon here, where we've got so many drugs so, many, so much issue with that. And this girl is very, very typical. She came out of the hospital with a new lease on life. 
And her answer, I remember sitting with her, and I did not tell her at the time what I wish I'd have told her. She said, that hole in my life, I found it. Okay, good, and I know what the hole is. And I thought, she's going to say, it's God, and here's where I'm going. She said, I need a man that treats me different. I've just been dating the wrong men my whole life. They've just, I've been around the wrong friends, and I've been around the wrong men. And you know what I did as a preacher? You know what I should have done? I should have said, Tina, no! <laughs> Don't do it! But you know what I did? I said, well, I'll pray for you, because that's what Christians do, right? I'll pray that God leads the right man into your life. I'll pray that God, and, and in my mind, I'm going, no, what she really needs is God, but this is not for me to say, right? Well, Tina started dating immediately. Off drugs, but started dating, and she started dating this man that uh, she had met at church. Seemed like a good guy. And after about six weeks, I ran into her, and she said, this is it. This is what I've been looking for my whole life. And in in the back of my mind, I'm going, no, it's not. I don't know who he is. I don't know how good he is. I don't know how smart he is. I don't know how good he treats you, but I promise it's not what you've been looking for. I should have said that, but I didn't. I said, thank God I've been praying for you. (laughs) Right? Because that's what we do. Well, she, she spent time with him and found out, just like you will, that no matter how good of man, no matter how good a woman, no matter how good of person you're around, they don't fill the empty void in your life. So it wasn't long before he wasn't what she thought he was. Still a good guy, just not God, you know? Didn't fill the void in her life, and she began to go back to drugs. It was about five years ago now that she went back to drugs. She came to this church a couple times, And at this church, she had decided she had figured it out. That the hole in her life, she had figured out. She came to me and she said, John, I figured out the emptiness of my life. And I went, finally. She goes, I need a better job. If I could just make more money, if I could just have a nicer house, I could get around the different people. And you know what I should have said was, you've already messed this up once and I already led you astray by not giving you the right advice. And you know what I said? I'll pray for you. And I think I know of a house, and I think I know of a job. So I introduced her to a guy, and she got this job, and she did a great job. And, of course, you know the end of that story, right? Ran into her recently at the mall. How do you like your job? Oh, I hate it. I hate him. I hate them. I hate this. I hate that. I hate this. I'm leaving. I'm going to a different job. I'm empty. And I did not make the same mistake I had made the first two times. And I said, Tina, I have failed you. I almost said a real name there. I said, Tina, I have failed you. And I'm not doing it again. And I stood across from the GNC in the food court, the mall in Bloomington. And I prayed that God would never make her satisfied with anything but him in that emptiness. That even for a moment, she wouldn't feel like that void could be filled like with anything but him. And that she would figure out what that means. And today... I want to tell you that I believe that emptiness, if you continue to push things into that emptiness that aren't God, it will lead you into dark places that you would have never expected to go. There's a phrase that was coined by um, some of our forefathers, some of the people that have gone before us in in faith um, and in religion, especially in Christianity. And the phrase goes like this, there but by the grace of God go I. And that's kind of a poetic way of saying, that could be me. Now, if you ever come to a point in your life as a Christian or as a person, as a human being, where you look at somebody and go, 
I would never. You need to be careful. The truth is the humility of looking at somebody and saying, there but by the grace of God, there but by filling my life full of God would I be. When you can get to that point, you can get to the point James was. We're in the book of James right now, and he speaks to this common denominator. He speaks to this darkness, this emptiness. And if there's anything in you or anything in any of your friends or your family or somebody you care about today who you can see pursuing something that, to fill their life that isn't God, I'm not saying going and buying a new lawnmower. I'm not saying about a big screen TV. I'm talking about things that become the center of your life, things that you think will be that hope and peace and joy that you've been looking for. James speaks right to it. He says this. He starts the conversation like this. And by the way, you think this is new. You think that this is a modern problem, but this was happening 2,000 years ago. And James says this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, that's, that's, uh, that's sort of a rhetorical question because he's going to answer it here in a minute. What ca- causes fights and quarrels? You know, I, I see this so much in marriage. Um, and by the way, if you've got a, a marriage problem, I've got a piece of paper with marriage counselors on it, but I am not one. And I can introduce you to a few couples here who agree with you, okay? Um, I'm a terrible marriage counselor, and I do not. I pray with you, and I'll send you to somebody who can help you, but I am not that person. But I see this all the time, couples who have come together, and the, the, the wife says this, he is not what he promised me he would be. And I always want to go, duh. <laughs> and then he goes, she's just nagging me all the time to be something I'm not. And I went, duh. Because it's easy to see in someone else, but it's not easy to see in yourself. This happens. This is why a lot of our quarrels happen at church. I have friends who believe that church is the center of their life. Not God. Church is the center of their life. And it fills this void sort of try, that they're trying to fill in their life. And if, if you argue with them, if they're doing something and, they're, and you don't like the way they're doing it, or you have a suggestion, they get mad immediately because you are threatening that thing that is filling up their life. And it makes them angry. James says this is the root of what causes these quarrels. These fights and politics right now. This desire. We all believe that there is something in us. There's something in us that is dark or that is empty. And we need to fill it with something. And James says these fights and quarrels come because you have desire, this desire in you. This word desire, I told you as I'm going through this series, anything in red I have studied, I've looked at um, in the original language. And he says this, what causes files and courts? Don't they come from, and basically the original text basically says, yes, they come from, not don't they, but like I'm going to answer that question, the desires that battle within you. The original language here is like, the, the Greek word is almost like the word chasm. Like there is this desire in you that causes a chasm. It causes a hole. It causes this thing that you can't fill. It's constant frustration. And James says that's what makes you quarrel and fight he says you desire but you do not have you're desiring the wrong things so you some of some of us you kill now most of us in this room haven't killed physically but my guess is at some point that emptiness in you that desire has caused you to raise up and to say something to somebody that has killed part of them spiritually emotionally you know, I, I don't like to talk about this very much. I, I, I always feel like it's sort of bragging, um, and so I never talk about it, but often somebody will ask me about my marriage, and just so you know that I'm not bragging, I'm on my second marriage, and my first one was an absolute wreck, and a lot of it was my fault, just so you know. But Risha, who has been an absolute amazing thing in my life and has, changed, has been a major part of changing my life, 
is 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 a most amazing person I've ever met, and I could preach a whole sermon about her, but that's not why you're here. But the whole deal with Risha is that she's not what fills my life. She doesn't fill my void in my life. She is a wonderful partner as I go to fill that void with God. And I'm the same thing for her, and I believe fervently, I believe this fervently, that we don't have arguments and quarrels that last more than 24 hours. We don't. I'm not sure we ever have in our house. And it's not because we're good people, and it's not because we're smart, and it's not because we just love each other that much. It's because we aren't trying to fill our void in our life with each other. When you try to fill that void in your life with somebody, you will hate them because you cannot fill the void with another human, and they cannot be God, and that's what you're really looking for. When you acknowledge that, it will change your relationships. James says, you desire, but you don't have, so you kill. You covet. I want that. I want that. That person seems to be so happy. Have you ever seen somebody where you're like, boy, if I just had their job, boy, if I just had their wife, boy, if I just had their husband, boy, if, if my kids were like their kids, man, that's what I, that covet comes from you wanting to fill your life and fill that emptiness. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. And James says you, it all comes from searching in the wrong places. Now, if you're not a Christian today in this place, this may be an epiphany to you. You may be going, oh my gosh, this is so true, this is so real. That's what I've been praying for. If you're listening to this um, on an MP3, you're listening to this on a podcast, um, on your lawnmower, then stop the lawnmower right now. All you need to do is say, God, yes, I want that, and you got it, okay? That's how big it is. But let me tell you, the people who are sitting in this orange pew today have heard this before. This is not news to most of you. And what you've done, be careful, look at me just for a second, Christians in this place. What you have done is point at somebody else every time this subject comes up. Boy, my grandson, he should hear that. Boy, if my husband would just hear that. And what I'm hoping you do today is point right back at you. What in your life today? Is it your 401k, your retirement? Is that what you're putting your hope into? Is that what you're trying to fill the void in your life with? Is it this church? Some of us are so involved in this church and so detailed, so want to be involved here and want to live every time the doors open, we're here, that we have actually, and this is so dangerous because it feels like God, but it's not. It's church, and church isn't God. And we can fill our lives with this so deeply and so much that we begin to hate church because it's not God. Anything you fill, anything you try to fill the void in your life with that isn't God, you will begin to despise this is what james tells us and it's because we're searching in the wrong places he says this in chapter 4 verse 3 you do not have because you don't ask god (laughs) you're you're asking everybody else you're asking that girl out on a date you're asking your wife if i can just buy that big screen tv you're asking about this you're asking your 401k to to give you this james says if you would just ask god this would change everything He says, when you ask God, some of you may do this today, but when you ask God, you you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. By the way, did you know, this is not a good thing to say from the pulpit without a little explanation, but did you know there's a wrong way to pray? Did you know that? Now, it's not the way you think because uh, my kids pray about as right as I think there is to pray, and they don't use big words. They don't say the right things like you would think. That's, it's, not that, it's not about that, it's about motives. 
It's about what's at the bottom of this. He says, because you ask with the wrong motives, <laughs> that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. When, when my son Reese was a, a baby, and all the way up to about four years old, we had these fruit snacks in our house. You know those fruit snacks that, that really don't have any fruit in them? They're just shaped like fruit. It's just almost like all sugar. Um, he loved these grapefruit snacks, and that was all he would eat. And I got to the point where his, his mom um, left us alone, which she didn't do very often, which is a good idea. Left us alone. He's about three years old. I was doing something else, and I just kept giving him fruit snacks. And after about eight packs of those fruit snacks, um, he was just, I'm just like frenzied, you know, wanting more fruit snacks. And I realized, uh, you're out of fruit snacks. Like, we, I, ran, I gave him a whole box of fruit snacks. Didn't even think about it. And he is crazy. He's like addicted to these fruit snacks, and he's got to have more. He's completely jonesing. He's, he's about ready to do anything he needs to get another fruit snack. And I told him, buddy, we're out. You can't have any more. And here's what he started doing. Three years old. He starts going, I want my mommy. I want my mommy. And he said that for three hours <laughs> until she got home. When, he got, when she got home, I said, he has been wanting you for three hours. And she went, yes, because he's a daddy's boy. Like, yes, he wants his mommy. You know what he did? This is what he did. Mommy, 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 mommy. I want fruit snacks. <laughs> well, buddy, you ate all the fruit snacks. Fine. Didn't want mommy anymore. Now, you know me, I'm a really simple guy. So I'm just going to tell you today, this is what you do with God. This is what I do with God. God, I want fruit snacks. I want God. 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 Yeah, but John, you're not going to get that car. No, fine. I don't want God anymore. I want God. I want God. I want God. I want God. Yeah, but now's not the time for you to date somebody. Oh, fine. I don't want God anymore. I'm just going to ask you today. How bad do you want God? Or how bad do you want the things that God could give you? If you can make that distinguish, which I'm not going to do in this sermon today, but if you can start to ask yourself, if you can start to stop yourself, when you get to that moment where you go, I want God, I want to fill my life with God, is it the things that God can give you that you want? Is it the grapefruit snacks that you're looking for? Or do you want the creator of the universe? Do you want a relationship with the creator? Because that's what will fill the void in your life. So, <laughs> this, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have preached this sermon. This phrase, cheating on God, when you see this on the website, this is what it's going to be called. In the deep, cheating on God. And the reason is because the Bible is very clear about the way God thinks about you. And, and although this may be offensive to you, um, it is very, very, something that is absolutely coming out of James' text. So this is not just me today. God thinks of you as a man would think about a woman that he's in love with. He thinks about her. He gets jealous for her. Look, look what he says next. Look at this. James chapter 4, he says this. You're cheating. Now, this is from the book of the Bible, or the uh, version of the Bible called The Message, written in our language. He says, you're cheating on God. If all you want in your own way, or if all you want is your own way, which is filling your life with those things that don't belong, flirting with the world every chance you get, you end up enemies of God and of his way. And do you suppose God doesn't care? 
Do you suppose that when you try to dig in and you try to fill your, the void in your life with something else, God just goes, well, tough luck. Well, too, so bad for them. That's not at all what happened. Here's what happens. Today when you walk out of this space, if you choose not to fill your life with God, if you f- choose to continue to pursue things to fill the voids in your life with something other than God, here's what happens. He says, there's this proverb. He speaks back to the Old Testament. He says this proverb, and it says this. He is a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. And God gives grace to the willing humble. I don't have time to do this, but I almost went back to the book of the Bible called Hosea. There's some of you that that take my sermons and dig in a lot deeper, which is really cool. Um, it always worries me, too, because I, I, I mess up sometimes, and you, you're correcting me, and I'm trying to get some of that right. I'm um, trying to make sure I do that. But um, if you're digging in and you want to take this sermon a little farther, go to the book of Hosea. The book of Hosea is a minor prophet, um, and it is the story of a man ho- named Hosea and his wife, whose name is Gomer, unfortunately. Um, and it's about an adulterous affair that Gomer has on Hosea. And it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's basically a picture, it's a video of the way God feels about us and the way God feels about Israel. The prophet wrote it to say this is a picture of God, the way God feels about us. And, and basically it's an adulterous relationship. And at the end, it's beautiful, it's an incredibly romantic thought. At the end, Gomer is a slave. She's not good for anything anymore, physically. So she's a slave on the slave block. And guess what Hosea does? He's walking through, hasn't seen her for years after she's had an affair and left him. He is walking through the market and sees her up on a block, on a slavery block. And he could have gone, well, there's that old lady that left me. And you know what he did? He bought her back. He walked up and he paid full price. And he bought her back. And that was God's way of telling you. No matter how many things you try to fill the void in your life with you'll pay the consequences but when you're ready to fill your life with the with the thing that actually you ache for he's ready to buy you back at any moment and that's what james says here god's give god gives grace to the willing humble i want to ask you before i go any further i'm almost done but i want to ask you this are you cheating on god i remember i had a conversation with a friend of mine, uh, I'll never forget this, and I hope I never have to have another one of these, but um, I ran into a friend of mine um, at Sam's Club, and um, he was with a woman that wasn't his wife, and it was weird. It wasn't like, oh, that's an older lady he works with. It was like, they're flirty, and they're too close, and I know his wife, and I know them, and it would be weird if I didn't say something. So I shook, my hand, shook her hand and met her and was like, weird, had lunch with him, and I said this, are you cheating on your wife? And I got this look like, no, what are you, are you kidding me? Am I cheating on my wife? Have you met my wife? She's beautiful. She's blah, 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 blah. She's blah, 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 blah. She's blah. My kids would be so, all right, I just need to ask, are you cheating on your wife? I mean, there was this defensiveness that came up and he was mad and we didn't finish our chips and salsa and that makes me mad. And, (laughs) and I had this moment where I just felt like an idiot. Like, why did I have to ask this guy if he was cheating he began to t- talk to me like Bill Clinton did when he was caught. You remember this? Well, what do you mean by cheating? Right? 
You know what I'm saying, adults. There are too many kids in the room for me to get deeper, but you know what I mean. What, 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 splitting hairs. And I thought, oh, I'm an idiot. I shouldn't have done that. Two years later, it came out that he was having an affair with this woman. It got worse and worse and worse. They divorced. The kids are a mess. The family's a mess. The void is bigger than it's ever been. And I was right. And I'm saying to you right now, if I were sitting across the table with some chips and salsa, you're buying. <laughs> I'm going to ask you right now, are you cheating on God? Are you trying to fill your life? You're trying to fill your life with the thing that God is jealously wanting to fill. I'm hoping today that you begin to answer that question in your life. That's what James wrote about. Next slide. He begins to say, there is only one way, by the way, because he knows, he, he knows what you're doing right now. He knows you're doing the same thing. He knows that I'm doing the same thing that my buddy at the Mexican restaurant was doing. He, you're going, well, what do you mean by cheat? Like, really? Technically, am I cheating? No, not according to me. But your heart's there. And he knew that, so he began to speak right to you. And here's what he says. Next slide. He says, there's only one way. So let God work his will in you. So I, you see that's red because I worked hard on this. I wanted to tell you what this means. So let God work his will in you. Here's what the Greek kind of says. It basically says this. Let God take that void that you've been trying to fill with other things. Empty it out and do the work for you. See, now, here's what we want to do as Christians. If you're not a Christian today, this is a little insight on what Christians do. We like to leave a church service feeling guilty. I don't know what that is, but the better sermon I preach, if you feel guilty, people come to me and go, oh, that was good today, brother. You know? Because somehow they feel like if they feel guilty, they're done. Right? Like, that's all it takes. It's just me feeling guilty. But you need to know that guilt doesn't come from God, and that guiltiness is only useful if you do something about it. In fact, it's useless and even worse than useless if you just let it ride. So today, what James says is, God wants to do something in you, and he wants you to let him do it. So that means you don't have to start journaling. If you want to journal, that's great, but it's not a spiritual discipline. It's not something that's going to change your life. It's something that might help you. Reading your Bible every day, beautiful thing, you should do it. And it will change the way you make decisions in your life, and it will guide you, and it's an amazing thing. But I promise you, you can walk out of here today and only choose to read your Bible for, for every day, and, it, and that, things won't change. You have to let God fill the void in your life. Somebody's going to send me an email and say I told him not to read the Bible. That's not what I'm saying. And then he says this, yelled, yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper away. We have dogs, uh, wiener dogs at our house. Um, one of them's already been run over by a car. We have two left. Um, my dad will probably get one or the two of them pretty soon, I think. He's, he drives up the driveway really fast. But um, we have these two dogs, and the only way you can say this, one of them's name is Bruce, and the other one's Scotty, and you can say whatever you want to them, and they will not do what you want them to do. You can say, hey, Scotty, would you please stop that? Don't eat the hot dog out of Reese's hand. Hey, hey, Bruce, please don't poop on the kitchen table. Yes, it's happened. Um, <laughs> or you can do this. You can wait for a moment and over all the noise, stop and go, no. And the entire, it, it worked for you. When I say no, my son does this. <laughs> 
When I say no to Bruce, everybody in the room, even my dad, drops his fork, you know, and it stops everything. Just hits the pause button for a moment, right? That's what causes Scotty or Bruce to stop. When I read the original language, this is the idea of the Greek language. This, this phrase here, say, say aloud no to the devil, this is a phrase that parents would talk about when they talk about their kids. It's the only way I could get them to stop is to go, no! That's cool. That goes, doesn't it? Some of you need to do this today. You're filling your life with the wrong thing. What you need to say is no. Here's what that means. And then he says, I love this, 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 uh, this conflict between the way we live our lives in this loud way and the way God speaks to us. Look at this. Every time you see this in Scripture, when God speaks to, now not every time he speaks to humans, but when he speaks to us now, this is the way you'll see it. Check this out. Say a quiet yes to God. And he'll be there in no time. Right now. Now, is it one of those things where you go, all right, God, yes. And then he goes, well, we've got to unravel all the mess you've made first. You know, that's the way church often works. People come to church and the people around will say, well, you've got to quit doing this and you've got to quit doing that and then you've got to quit doing this and you've got to quit doing that and then you come to church. <laughs> Jesus says the exact opposite. James says the exact opposite. You say yes to God quietly and immediately you're in. And then things begin to change. Because God loves you so much, he loves you right where you are, and he loves you way too much to leave you where you are. So you're going to make changes, and that's the order it works. The way it works, the way God wants it to. He says, quit dabbling in sin. I don't, I don't need to explain that, do I? <laughs> okay, I will anyway. You know what he means by dabbling? It's, it's the word that, just like my buddy, when I said, are you cheating? I'm dabbling. I'm taking her to lunch, just the two of us. Nobody knows, just the two of us. We're going to Sam's on our lunch break. Nobody knows, but it's not cheating, right? No, you know what that is? Dabbling. Yeah, the, the, the website, it's not pornography, right? It's just it's the swimsuit catalog from Sports Illustrated. I love sports, right? You're dabbling. Uh, do I need to take this illustration any farther? The parents are getting real red in the face. I won't, I promise, but I can tell you this dabbling is dangerous and James knows you're doing it he says purify your inner life quit playing the field hit bottom and cry your eyes out the fun and games are over stop playing games with God that's really what that translation is you know God doesn't play games creator of the universe doesn't play games you can't pretend you're religious and then go over here and do what you want to do you can't pretend you're a god person and you're filling the void with god and then live however you want to live and fill it with something else god doesn't play games he sees right through it he says get serious get get serious get down on your knees before the master i'm going to read this again because i'm going to ask you to in a minute get down on your knees before the master it's the only way you'll get back on your feet Praying is the way back on your feet. Some of you have fallen. You have filled the void with something else for so long that you're not even sure really what it means to fill your life with God. He says the way is to pray. A quiet yes. Would you let God do his work today? Band, you can come up. My friend Tina um, 
after our conversation at the mall, you know what I really thought? Maybe this is too honest, but I thought, boy, I hope I never run into her again. Because <laughs> it just feels like a lot of weight. The truth is, she sent me a Facebook message about six weeks ago. And she has taken a challenge with her church, Evangelical Community Church in, in Bloomington, um, is challenging single women who have had a problem choosing men. I'll just leave it at that. Um, challenging them a year of no dating. And she has taken the challenge. And she went six, she's been six weeks, and she said she's already starting to realize that she has tried to fill the void in her life with the wrong thing for many, many years. You just need to try this. That's my point today. If you're not sure you believe this stuff today, <laughs> here's the great news. You don't have to walk out of here believing. In fact, do you know this? That the first people who followed Jesus didn't believe in him? Did you know that? The first group of people who followed Jesus didn't believe in Jesus. They just loved the way he lived his life. They wanted to live like he lived. They didn't believe he was God. They didn't believe that he was going to raise from the dead. It wasn't until after he had actually proven that he could raise from the dead that people started following him as the, as the God of creation. It, then it was just following Jesus. You know today that you can begin to follow Jesus without believing that he's God. And here's what we believe around here. If you do, if you begin to live the way he lived, if you begin to do the things that he asked us to do in our life, it will lead you to a place where you realize that he is the thing you've been w looking for your whole life. Would you stop searching in the wrong places today? Would you have a conversation? I love making awkward conversations in the car on the way home. If you have a conversation with your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, relationship, on the way home today, where are we cheating on God? Where are we trying to put our hope and our peace and our joy that isn't the Creator? And what would happen today if you stopped cheating on God? I've got another friend who, I'm almost done, I promise, but you need to hear this. Another friend who was into pornography and his wife didn't know. We had a long conversation and he said, I, I want to stop before she finds out because I think it'll change everything in our marriage. And Yeah, it will. If you're, if you're lucky, there's still marriage. And we had this long conversation, and finally he quit. And it was this amazing thing, and he used this software. If you're dealing with it, come find me. Um, I don't judge, I promise. I've seen this in my life since I was 16 years old, men dealing with this problem, and I think it's one of the biggest problems we have, and I want to get it out in the open and fix it. And there's a piece of software that helps in that, and I'd love to introduce you to it. It s changed his life, and when it did, I, I, I still want him to tell her. He still hasn't told her. He's been off for a year and he has not uh, he's still not told her but he said immediately it changed their marriage she didn't even know and it changed their marriage because when he stopped cheating on her which is what that is by the way men when he stopped cheating on her he started realizing how desperate he was for her how desperately he loved her and it changed their marriage it's the same thing with God if you're cheating on God today you don't even know how desperately in love with God you are you don't even know how he has built you if you are finding ways to cheat on him. He is the way, capital W. He is the truth, capital T. And he is the life you've been looking for, capital L. The void that you've been needing to fill. Let God work his life, or look, look, let God work his will in you right now. This is the beauty of this, and we try to make this so hard. 
We try to say, hey, if you want this in your life, you've messed up so bad, so here's what church does. You've messed up so bad, so if you want this, you can have it, but you need to do this, 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 and this, and then you come back to me and we'll see where you're at. It's not the message of God. That's not the gospel. Here's the gospel. You have made a mess of your life. Turn around. Go the other direction, and you can have it right now, and God loves you too much to leave you like that, so you will make changes every day the rest of your life when you realize cheating on him is not worth it. A quiet yes to God is all it takes. Maybe you've never done that before. I'm going to ask you, if you're a Christian here today, if you're, if you're a Jesus follower, and if you're doing this thing, I'm just going to ask you, during this song, you can sing this song, and, and you can say, say this word at the same time, because it's just one word. Just say yes. God has been here. He knows what we're talking about. If you just say yes. You know, if you say yes to God, what that means? It means no to the things you're cheating on. So, as we sing this song today, you know what James says? The, the way to get back on your feet is get on your knees. We'll give you a chance today. Normally, I go back to that back room, but I'm going to sit in this orange pew today. And if today,